Dogs and humans have an interspecies relationship unlike any other. We have co-evolved together with the help of the hormone oxytocin to deepen our bond. We often eat, sleep, and spend our free time together. We live with them, love them, and care for them. Dogs, in essence, have become a part of the family. I'm Chloe Dorward. I'm Nick D'Onofrio. And I'm Natasha Marriott. In order to explore the relationships of humans and dogs, we interviewed Miss Jennifer Dees, Assistant Dean of Students, with her two dogs, Chihuahua Tinkerbell and Chihuahua Dachshund Mix Sadie. Miss Dees thinks of her dogs as family. When asked if she considers her dogs to be akin to having children, she replied, um, it's funny because we're actually in the process of waiting to be to have a child placed mm-hmm. with us for adoption, okay. um, and we have been told, and I think we believe that they're sort of the closest thing that you can have to kids without actually having children. So they're a little bit like a trial run. Later on, she elaborates on the similarities she sees between dogs and children as she's going through the adoption process. Yes, I do. I think I mean we've been told by people who have kids, and I I imagine it's the closest you can get to having a child without having a child. It is not all that crazy to believe that dogs can be pseudo children. In her book, A Pack of Two, Caroline Knapp writes, "A lot of couples I know have gotten dogs and ended up with more solid bonds themselves. This pack-oriented creature in their midst, helping them to see themselves as a family or as potential parents, deepening the sense of commitment. Puppies, especially, are so small and undeveloped that they require similar responsibilities to children as Miss Dee's touches upon." You know, they can't be left overnight, and you got to remember to feed them and bathe them and all of those things. Caroline Knapp describes dogs the same way as Misty's, as unconditional, loving companions. She writes, Dogs, of course, often make better family members than humans. They can be far less judgmental, far less moody, far more faithful in their attachments, and they don't criticize your cooking. We asked Ms. Dees what she thinks is the best part of being a dog owner. Think of that unconditional love. Yeah. Um, there's nothing better than coming home and like whatever kind of day you had, you come home to two wagging butts um, and they're thrilled to see you. Or even if you left the house 10 minutes ago, they're thrilled to see you. Um, if you have a bad day and you're snapping at your partner, the dogs still love you. They'll still cuddle with you. Um, yeah, just always having that unconditional love. And they're super cute too, added bonus. This unconditional love seems to be common in dog-human relationships. Jeffrey Musayef Masson, in his book, The Dog Who Couldn't Stop Loving, discusses why human-dog bonds are so strong. He writes, It's because they give us unconditional love. I hear that a lot. I believe it. He continues saying, But if you stop to consider it, the remarkable thing is that we give it back. When we love our dogs, we love them unconditionally. It's a powerful feeling. People often say that the strongest love they feel is for their family and for their dog. Masson's statement reflects Ms. Dees' feelings to a T. They both use the term unconditional love, as well as mention the difference between the love for human and canine family members. Sadie has a unique way of showing her love. Ms. Dees tells us about this intense attachment Sadie has through her behavior towards others. No, because she doesn't act out when I'm not there. Um, It's more just that she doesn't respond well to anyone else. Like, she'll sit with my wife if I'm not there, but the second I come home, she's with me, and she won't go back to Emily. Um, Emily, we say that she grumps because she kind of, like, does a little... It's not quite a growl, but it's kind of like a growl. So if Emily goes to just pick her up, she grumps. Um, But if I pick her up, it's fine. She comes when I call. She doesn't come when Emily calls. But she's not destructive in any way, and she can be left at home just fine. So, um, 
so we haven't had it looked at because it doesn't cause problems. I mean, Emily would like her to be more affectionate with Emily, but um, but it doesn't cause actual problems. Sadie's overt loving behavior towards Miss Dees is hardly typical of how humans love one another. A spouse may love their significant other, but that love will not stop them from getting into arguments. Sadie's love is different. Jeffrey Masson describes a dog's love as being more advanced than a human's. He writes, This almost surreal friendliness is the primary characteristic of dogs. This quality of amiability, of sociability, of friendliness goes so far beyond what we normally see in other species that some people, count me among them, would describe it as a heightened capacity for love. This level of attachment Masson mentions is not uncommon among dogs to present either, as Caroline Knapp details in her book. She writes, The dog, moreover, loves you in a particular way, with a kind of focus and consistency that's rare, if not unparalleled among even the most devoted family members. Sadie presents Miss Dees with a special, deeper kind of love that most humans are incapable of providing. Generally, Miss Dees talked about her relationship with her dogs as beneficial. Dogs have a positive effect on humans, even though they're not always perfect. The unconditional love still holds even when her dogs aren't behaving or if their needs and schedules cause a bit of stress to their owners. It's another example of how dogs are comparable to human children, but are on the whole more consistently reciprocating of our affections. Yeah, I mean, there are individual moments where they can be stressful, like rushing to make sure that they get out and eat before we go somewhere else, um, or if they're sick or hurt, but on the whole, calming influence, yeah. Still, Ms. Dees also mentioned the limitations of human-animal communication and how people can't always tell what their dogs need or want, even though their nonverbal communication is usually enough to let us know their basic desires. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a limit on it. Like, there have been times that something's been wrong, like they've been injured or something, and you know something's wrong, but it, it's crazy-making to not be able to know what it is. Like, you weren't there when it happened, or you're just not quite sure what hurts, but you know something's wrong. Um, or there are times that somebody goes to pick them up the wrong way, and you're like, oh, you can see they're uncomfortable. You can see the tension in the dog. Um, so yeah, to an extent. It can be frustrating for people to not know how, what their dogs are thinking or feeling, as Caroline Knapp discusses. I think about how stressful it must be for the dog not to be able to speak English. It's stressful for humans, too. Living with a dog, trying to understand a dog, to read his or her behavior and emotional state, is such a complex blend of reality and imagination, such a daily mix of hard truths and wild stabs in the dark, she says in her book Pack of Two. Because we care so deeply about our dogs, we want to be able to provide and care for them in any way possible, which is difficult without a clear way of communication. Fortunately, though, we can study their body language to get an idea of what they're saying, just as they study us to do the same possibly even more so than us. Alexandra Horowitz details this in her book Inside of a Dog. Dogs are anthropologists among us. They are students of behavior, observing us in the way that the science of anthropology teaches its practitioners to look at humans. As adults, we walk among other humans largely without examining them closely, socially trained to keep to ourselves. Despite the language barrier between humans and dogs, we are still able to communicate and bond at a deep level through eye contact and oxytocin. Evan L. McLean and Brian Hare summarize findings on the role of oxytocin in human-dog relationships in the article, Dogs Hijack the Human Bonding Pathway. They report, Comparisons of humans and dogs before and after they interact with each other have revealed notable increases in circulating oxytocin. In addition, exogenous administration of oxytocin causes dogs to initiate more social contact with other dogs and humans, and allows dogs to tune into human social cues even more faithfully. They further explain why this is so important. These findings suggest not only an interspecies effect of oxytocin, but also the exciting possibility of a feedback loop. That is, shifts in oxytocin concentration in a dog may elicit similar changes in a human, and vice versa, just as is seen when a mother bonds with her infant. This echoes Mestiz's comparisons of her dogs to children. 
Although the average pet owner may not realize it, the role of oxytocin is strong in the relationship. There is a clear difference between relationships with humans and other animals. Hassan discusses the remarkable love between dogs and humans. He writes, Is it not possible that over the many thousands of years dogs and humans have been together, we have taught one another this special kind of love? One that we reserve for only a few other members of our own species and for one single other species? Hassan says he believes it is. Oxytocin bonding further solidifies Hassan's theory that our love with dogs is unique. In our interview with Ms. Dees, we discussed familial and emotional aspects of dog ownership. Ms. Dees sees her dogs as a part of the family, and they provide a trial run of caring for another being before adopting a child. She feels a deep love with her dogs, reliable and unconditional. Her connection with her dogs leads to nonverbal communication, eye contact, one nonverbal form of communication, and its resulting oxytocin release leads to deeper bonds with dogs than with other species. All of Ms. Dees' experiences show why her relationships with her dogs are so strong. But what ultimately draws humans to dogs? Ms. Dees sums it up perfectly. They want to be with you, um, and they're, they're kind of easy in a way that humans aren't. Like, you give a cookie and you're in. I don't know, they're just kind of all around pleasant. There's just something about dogs that's a deeper connection.